Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, I've been looking at my previously published podcasts, and I'm about ready to head off across the Atlantic for my Atlantic crossing to bring the boat back from the Mediterranean to the Caribbean. And I plan on flying over to Spain on January 4th, getting the boat ready, which is pretty much ready right now, and splashing it on January 9th. As soon as we have a good weather window, we will push on through, probably from Almiramar to Estepona, stay in Estepona until we have a good weather window to get down to the Canaries, and then hop down to the Canaries. I've got all my crew positions full, and a couple of them are from listeners to this podcast. So that's great. Uh, We plan on sailing across the Atlantic. We hope to arrive in Grenada around March 1st to 3rd, if all goes well. (laughs) The pilot charts are accurate. And then I plan on spending about one month in and around Grenada and then putting my boat up on the hard and then flying home. I've got three crew positions for when I arrive at Grenada. They're basically about a week each, and I'm looking for different crew members to join me on that. I've sent out some invitations to my friends, and of course, friends and family come first. And then after that would be Patreons to this podcast. And if you'd like to become a patron, I'd really appreciate it. You can just go to medsailor.com. Just go to their website, medsailor.com, and click on the Patreon link and join me as a patron. Patrons will get first choice from the listeners of this audience if they want to join me for about oh six to seven days sailing around Grenada. I'm going to have some communication while I'm gone. I have a Iridium Go on board, which will track the boat. I'm not going to give out that uh, web link. Uh, I'm just going to leave that for family. But you could still write me at franz1 at medsailor.com. And when I get into port, I'll look at those emails if you're interested in in possibly joining me as crew member. Until then, I'm going to be re-releasing previous episodes of the podcast. And I'm looking at my first podcast was published on January 23rd, 2012. And there's been over 200 and I think over 250 podcasts since then. So I'm going to be going back as and re-releasing the uh, podcasts that I think are interesting, uh, probably about once a week, if I can get around to that, uh, until I get back in April. And I'll be back the 1st of April and hopefully have a story or two to tell about the crossing. All right, with that out of the way, I'm going to choose one of my episodes from way back when and re-release it. Again, write me franz1 at medsailor.com if you have any comments or questions or are looking to join me as crew. Uh, I do not charge for crew positions, by the way. You're expected to pay your own expenses and maybe contribute to the marina expenses, the mooring expenses, possibly fuel, 
and be willing to buy me a, <laughs> a drink once in a while. I've had some people that have been on the boat that are so cheap that they won't even buy a drink or a dinner once in a while. And if you're not that cheap, I really don't want you as a guest on the boat. Anyway, um, with that out of the way, let's get on to this episode, which I don't know what it is right now, but I'll find one to throw in here. So coming up, I have uh, an interview lined up hopefully next week with Kim Brown of Sailing Britcan. The website Sailing Britcan. She came across her in Twitter, went to their blog, and I thought, and I thought, they've got some interesting stories to tell. They're in Greece right now, but currently they're off the boat and in North Carolina. So it'll be interesting to talk to them. They've sailed a lot of the places I have, and I will be interested in getting their take on where they've been. They've got a great website. Really enjoy their blog. All right, that's enough for an intro. Now we'll get on to the actual interview. Drop me a note if you have some ideas for future podcasts or if you think you might be an interesting person to talk to. You can email me at franz at medsailor.com. In the subject line, put podcast ideas franz or comments on podcast franz because if I get an email from you, it goes straight to my junk mail folder. Until I know you, it goes straight to my junk mail folder. I get 300 emails a day and 99% of them are junk mail. So I really scan quickly through the junk mail to see if there's something important. And if it doesn't jump out at me, I could be deleting it by mistake. So if you write me an email and I don't respond, assume that it was junked, resend it to me, please. All right, one last thing, the advertisement. If you're studying for the ASA 101, 103, or 104 courses, or if you just want to learn to sail, I can't teach you how to sail, but I can teach you some terminology and give you some ideas on what you need to understand for taking the examination. I have some audio books. They're available in iTunes and Amazon. And also at the website. At the website, you would download them through a service called Gumroad. I've got them at the website in one file. If you download them in Amazon or iTunes, they're going to be multiple files. So depending on what you want to do. If it's of interest to you, I have a link at the show notes to one of them. And you can always go to the tab that says something like sailing instruction or sailing lessons and see the whole series that I have available. I'm with Jules Desec. Jules did an interview with me, I guess it was over a year ago now. And it's been one of my most popular downloads. It's about his experience in sailing in the French canals. So, Jules, thanks for coming back on again, and let's catch up on what you've been up to. Well, thank you very much, Franz. I would think it's probably nearly two or three years ago, knowing the way time flies. Uh, I'm not sure where we left off last time. Uh, Can you remember? Well, as I recall, uh, we had met in in Croatia, and you had sailed back through the canals back to England, and you gave me a little bit of a heads up on the trip back through England. You also gave me a copy of your book, which I guess is also available uh, in Gumroad, and I want to put a link to that at the end of this. uh, Well, in the show notes, I want to put a link to that. You've sent me a couple photographs I'm going to put up on the website, 
and also a link to your book on the French canals. But you had gone through some of the canals, and there's a, a high interest uh, among a lot of cruising sailors about doing exactly what you're doing. Now, bring us back up to gate. Assume, probably the best thing to do is assume that the people that are listening to this have forgotten the entire interview, and you can just go wherever you want to go with this. So first of all, tell us a little bit about the boat you have. Right. Just I will do, just to get the things right, we actually described our trip down the canals to the Mediterranean, and we then came back onto the canals, which is where we are. Now, the boat is a 11-meter, 37-foot sailing boat called the Southerly, an English-built boat, uh, which has the unusual feature of a lifting keel. So we draw um, six feet with the keel down and uh, less than three feet with it up, which makes it ideal for the French inland waterways, which are quite often shallow. Now, that's the same, that's the same boat that um, the Shards, Paul and Cheryl Shard have then, isn't it? Uh, similar. Yes, theirs is much more modern, much more expensive, but the basic design of the swing keel is the same. Yeah. Tell us about your trip last summer. Right. Well, if we go back to the beginning, we had sailed around the Mediterranean, and then we put our boat, Pluto, on a lorry and brought her from Slovenia to the River Rhone in France. That's right. Say, That's right. We talked about sailing back, and you said you were going to go up into the northern, uh, the northern Adriatic and move it, ah, yes, and move it uh, by truck, but you didn't yeah. want to go out of Italy because it would take too long to get it back to where you wanted to go out of Italy, and you went through right. Slovenia instead. That's right. Okay. Uh, so that's where we left off. And um, so the major event uh, of the year before last was going up the Canal de Burgoyne, which runs up through the uh, Burgundy region, which is slack in the middle of France. The main feature of that canal is that it's uh, 242 kilometers, which is about 150 miles, but it has 190 locks which is quite challenging. And you and your wife are handling these locks just with the two of you, is that correct? Yes, it, yes, we've done this just the pair of us, uh, two 70-year-olds. Uh, but the, the locks are all manned, if that's the right word, because of women doing it too. So you don't have to work them yourselves. Uh, you often have uh, a lock keeper. You always have a lock keeper. Sometimes covering seven, eight, ten, on one occasion, fifteen locks. And they come with you on a scooter or a car, and they go ahead and open your lock up and prepare it. And as soon as you come out, they rush on to the next lock and prepare that one and so on. We try and help as well, but basically they are in charge. So is it just you that's going through the canal at this time, or are they having two or three boats so she's not having to work or the person's not having to work as hard? Or is it just just however many boats that can fit in the lock? Or yeah. not, not? Or is it just yourself? How does it work? Is it Do they usually bunch up the boats, or is it usually just one at a time? Well, the canals of Burgoyne 
uh, is surprisingly unused. And uh, we could spend half a day sitting still and not see another boat. So the answer to your question actually is that sometimes we were just on our own for many locks. Sometimes there was another boat, uh, which made it a bit easier. And very occasionally, very rarely, you would pick up a commercial boat, a big uh, sand or gravel carrying barge. <coughs> Excuse me, but that was infrequent. Normally it was either us or us and another boat. No, never more than that, I don't think. So where did you start out? In in the town of Burgoyne, or what town did you start so, out in? Um, we started off at the southern end of the Canal de Burgoyne, at a place called Saint-Jean-de-Lone, Saint-Jean-de-Lone, which is the center point of all the waterways in France. It's where they all seem to meet up. Whichever way you're going, you're likely to end up at Saint-Jean-de-Lone. And we started there and went up the Canal de Burgoyne, the first major halt was at Dijon, which is where the Dijon mustard comes from. So I'm told it actually comes from Canada and is bottled in France, but, but by the by. But Dijon was our first major halt. And then we just wended our way along. So does the canal go right through the city of Dijon then? Yes, just on the edge of Dijon. And then... Um, like many French towns, they turn their backs on the waterways. The, the roads are what matter. And the little marina they have there is very sadly neglected. And this is typical of a lot of France. So, as I say, they turn their backs on the waterways. Okay. I'm actually on Google Earth looking at Dijon, and I see, yes, it, it, uh, you can see the canal clearly. You can see the locks as well. So are you, at this point in time, uh, heading... Uh, basically, it looks like east through the city of Dijon, and oh, there is a marina there that goes right into the marina, and does, yeah. and that comes out the other end of the marina. So there's a little island uh, in the in the marina, sort of. Then isn't there? Yes, that's right. The marina is tucked behind the island, and it's full of weed. <laughs> that's one of the problems of that canal. So it's, it's a shallow canal, then. It's a pretty shallow oh, yeah. canal. Yes, it drops down to uh, 1.4 meters at um, its shallowest, and maybe less when it's very dry. Uh, 1.4 meters, you'll have to convert that, but it's um, getting on for five feet or so. The weed is a major problem in parts of the Canal de Burgoyne. We, we have weed filters, and we check them twice a day when we're going along. How do you set your boat up for the locks? Do you have bumpers all along the side? Do you have bumper boards? How how do you do how do you do yep. that? You're absolutely right. We have bumpers or fenders as we call them. We have about uh, six each side, and outside that we have a board because the sides of the locks are actually filthy with mud and uh, algae, and they're fairly rough. And uh, the French play jokes on you. You can do six or seven locks in a row, and the bollards are all on the port side, and you're set up for port side mooring. And then the eighth lock, they're on the starboard side. So <laughs> we have everything duplicated, absolutely everything. So whichever lock we come into, we can moor up. But you're right, you need a lot of bumpers indeed. 
With a three-foot draft, though, you were pro- probably pretty safe coming through this canal. Yes, we were very. Yes, that's a perfect draft. Yes, there's no problem at all. We were very safe. You wouldn't want to take a, a keel boat, a deep keel boat, up. Spin, spin keels are all right, but uh, but you would not want a six-foot draft. Four foot six, I would say, is maximum amount of risk. How many miles a day would you typically go? Uh, on a typical on a day, would you go, or how many hours may, might be a better way of putting it? It's a better way of putting it. Uh, we would try and do about six or eight hours a day, probably near six. And the other thing about French locks, and it's typical of the whole of France, is that lunchtime is sacrosanct. Nothing happens at lunchtime, so the locks close for an hour. At lunchtime, the only things open at lunchtime in France are restaurants, which is probably not a bad thing because it throws you off. So might, we might do nine till twelve, have lunch, and then twelve uh, one till four or five, something like that, very roughly. Now I'm looking at this canal. Can you tie up along the side anywhere you want along this canal, or do you have to go to specific locations? Um. In theory, you can tie up anywhere. Uh, it's totally free. But in practice, the canal bank, those river banks, are rough. Uh, they've got uh, rocks along the edge. And it's a lot of brambles, thorns, bushes, and so on. So it, it's, there are very few riverside sites where you can actually pull into the bank and spend the night. Uh, but most towns or even villages usually have a short key or pontoon that you can lie to. And I know you're in the Mediterranean and you've done Croatia. It might hurt you to hear that you can often moor up in a town where there's water and electricity. And it... What were the highlights? What specific memories come to your mind when you're thinking of that summer? The highlights, I suppose it's beautiful. The countryside roundabout is absolutely glorious. There are some very pretty chateaux along the way, which are well worth visiting. The fact that the place is almost deserted, you can be on your own for much of your travel. And you're so cut off there, we not only didn't get Wi-Fi, we often couldn't pick up a telephone signal, and on occasions, we couldn't even pick up national radio. So we could have been in the middle of a, a rainforest or something, for Venus. Uh, so you're completely cut off in beautiful uh, surroundings. Uh, so that, that's a great pleasure. You're on your own, lovely surroundings. It looks, it looks beautiful. As I'm looking at this on Google Earth, I'm following, I'm following the canal down, seeing the locks, a lot of farmland around. But it looks like... Right next to the canal, you have uh, a, a band of trees, it looks like, that they've per- specifically put there, probably for erosion as much as anything, but it looks like it'd be quite delightful along that canal. Yeah, the trees are probably there for two reasons. Of course, these canals were commercial. Uh, when the barges were drawn by horses, donkeys, or even humans, and the trees, I think, supplied a lot of shade because it's quite hot down there. And uh, 
you need some shade when you're pulling your barge along the canals. Do you speak French? I speak what's called schoolboy French. Uh, Vanessa, whom you've met my wife, speaks very, very good French because she actually taught English in France when she was much younger. Would you say that an, an understanding of French would be essential if you want to do the uh, the French canals on your own? Uh, I'd say it's helpful, not essential by any means. Uh, the French uh, welcome an attempt at speaking French. If you just uh, pass the pleasantries and say hello and goodbye and thank you, and those sorts of things, just make an attempt to speak French, they will make an attempt to talk to you. If you, as some foreigners do, just talk to them in their native language, then the French will shut up completely. But given a little bit of goodwill, it, it is not essential to speak French. But I would recommend anybody uh, who's going to do this trip to just uh, learn up on a few basic French words, and they'll be well received. To get the license to sail a French canals, is there a license required or not? Because I've heard one thing and heard another, so I'm not quite sure on that. Right, there is. It's quite clear cut. Uh, the organizing body for the French in the motorways is called VNF Voie Navigable Francais. Uh, VNF, uh, you apply to them for a carnet or a ticket for either a few days, weeks, or the year. It's, um, you can do it online. It depends on the length, breadth, and draft of your boat. And I think our um, thing cost us about £200 for the whole year. Now, that includes everything. You'd never pay to go through a lock. Uh, you never pay for any facilities, apart from if you go to a marine or so but you have to pay that. Now, to do that, you need some qualifications, which they've never actually checked up on, but you do need an international, they say, an international certificate of competence, uh, which most yachtsmen will have when traveling around the Mediterranean, I suppose, with a special endorsement called CEVNI, C-E-V-N-I, which is the sort of rule of the road for the... French waterways. I think you can do that test online, but so you basically need your certificate of competence and the certainly endorsement. I've never known them check up on anything. Normally, the only requirement they really have is your credit card or debit card. All right, so I followed the French Canal on Google Earth all the way down to Saint John Les Lausanne. Is that how do you Saint John? The John Delone, yep, that's the place. That's the bottom end. That's where we started. That's where you started. So you worked your way up to Dijon, and then you continued. How far did you go? Well, we got right up to the top end, northern end, where it's called Migen, M-I-G-E-N-N-E-S, Migen. Um, if it's got another name. But that's where the, the um, Canal de Burgoyne joins another river called the Yonne. This, this is La Roche-Migène, L-A-R-O-C-H-E. 
Nijen. That's the junction of the Canal de Burgoyne with the Yon, which is Y-O-N-N-E. Middle of the trip, there is a, a tunnel. I sent you a picture of the tunnel. Uh, fascinating, three kilometers long, and uh, just one boat's width. So they, you have to report to the lock keeper before you go into it, and they brief you and give you a, a walkie-talkie and check you've got a light and uh, life belts and so on. And then you do this three-mile stretch, which is quite eerie because it's lit in places and not lit in others. I don't know if they're saving money or the bulbs have gone. It's rather peculiar, but it's quite an experience, three kilometers or two miles um, underground. I'm following the canal down. We go through a lot of villages. Would you typically tie up on these villages and go in for dinner or? Yeah, um, two-part question. Would we typically tie up in a village? Yes. The, I, the biggest disappointment of this trip, I've described the highlights really, the lovely country and so on, is that it is becoming very depressed economically. And the, in most French villages, you used to be able to find a, a baker, a boulangerie, because the French like to have fresh bread every breakfast and every evening, and usually a butcher as well. They have gone. We went through lots of villages in which the, the shops had all gone. They were very, it's very sad. Restaurants listed in our cruising guide have closed. The French recession is um, quite uh, serious. And the, so that's the downside. And little restaurants were very few and far between. Have you seen this in the last four or five years, or has this, uh, this been coming on over a long period of time? No, no, no. We went down the canals about seven years ago, I think. And so we're now able to do the same trip back. Um, the changes are quite marked, very marked indeed. And it's very sad. Hmm. I'm, I'm following the uh, canal up, and I see where you go into a tunnel, and it looks like there's trees that grow over the top of it, but you can still easily see where the canal continues on here. And, um, and then it comes, I haven't found where it comes out yet. <laughs> there no, actually, the interesting thing is um, well, there's a real town at either end. Yeah, here it is, Le Bassin. Le Bassin or Vellard is where it looks like it comes out. And right at the end of that is a, a little marina that you can pull into. Yes, that's right. There is a, there is a nice little marina there. I'm just trying to look at my description. Yes, I can't find the right description of the town where exactly it is. But there is a town at each end, yes. And we were able to, there were one or two wonderful places along the, the canal. Uh, it was, I think it was President Bush who said the French don't have a word for entrepreneurism, which is amusing. But they, they don't really understand the concept. And halfway along, there's a wonderful abbey that's being converted by an Englishman into a Michelin rosetted restaurant. So we did stop there. 
wonderful entrepreneurism, and the French didn't really approve of it. Okay. Now, this is not particularly wine country. Well, actually, if you're in Burgundy, it is wine country, isn't it? It's right through the middle of it. Okay, because I'm looking at these fields. I can't tell the crops that they're growing, so a lot of these must be vineyards I'm looking at then. Yeah, they are. You can't really see them from the canals, because as you rightly pointed out, the canals are wooded. Um, you sometimes get see villages sort of ghosting behind the trees as you go along. Fascinating. Well, I was uh, at an, an event the other day, and I was talking to somebody, and he was saying, well, we're going off on a, a French canal cruise uh, next week. In fact, he's probably over there right now. It seems to be very, very popular among American tourists to go over there and, and rent barges right now. But obviously, this is not one of the rivers they're renting on. And That's right. Uh, because there are some terrific places uh, to rent boat, rent boats and um, where there aren't too many locks and the, the, the towns on the side of the canals are thriving. The canal of the Goyne, as I said, has got too many locks. If you were going on a week or ten days holiday, you don't really want to spend all your time opening and closing locks. So there's lots of places very near where we are. And I imagine being very popular with uh, all foreigners. And the interesting thing is, if you charter or hire a canal boat, and they're very luxurious, you don't have to have any of these qualifications, except the the, um, certificate of competence. The only qualification you need is your credit card. Well, and that's why I asked you about that, because I specifically asked this person, I said, well, are you... Are you captaining the boat, or do you have a charter captain? He said, no, I'm, I'm running the boat myself. I said, do you have to have a license? He said, oh, no. Oh, no, I don't have to have a license. A charter company takes care of that. But yet um, he, he doesn't have any particular, any particular qualification. So, you don't, so the, the French are totally minded about the whole thing. If you're bringing your own boat, you've got to have qualifications. And I, I admit... That, that's fair, because you might go on the Rhone or the Seine or the Seine. These are big rivers with great big barges and ships. So it's only appropriate you're qualified. The charter boats, the higher boats, are on more sheltered waterways, much more sheltered. And the briefing that the hire company gives you is considered to be adequate. And it is perfectly adequate. You don't need any special skills. If you can drive a car you can probably handle a charter boat. All right. Well, that's good to know because it's it's becoming extremely popular. It seems to be the, the thing to do right now. Well, I think I would support it. It, it, it is wonderful. In the middle of... And France is a lovely country. Uh, the French, as I say, if you just speak a few words to them, are very, very friendly indeed. We've met incredible courtesy and kindness from them. And if you, even if the little village shops have gone, the supermarkets are usually fairly close by. And the cost of wine there is remarkably low, of very high quality. Hmm. Have you, just as a side note, I've got a friend of mine who has chartered a boat in Ireland several times. And he's 
totally in love with the Irish canals. Of course, he loves the Irish people as well. Have you taken your boat over to Ireland yet? No, we haven't. And most of people charter their boats on the River Shannon, I think, which is on the west coast of Ireland, Ireland which is hairy sailing as the Atlantic impinges on that coast. But it is beautiful cruising area, I'm told, absolutely beautiful. And the other thing, as you rightly say, is the hospitality of the Irish, who are some of the loveliest people around. It's wonderful. If you were to give uh, any specific advice to somebody that's contemplating this, first of all, I guess you need to have the right boat. So you need to pick your canals by the draft that you can handle. And if you had a five-foot draft, this would not be one of the canals that you could go on, obviously. What canals could a cruising boat with a five-foot draft handle, in your, in your knowledge? I don't expect you to be an atlas, but from, no. your, from your understanding. We're talking about somebody bringing their own boat. Right. Off. I'm I'm specifically thinking of me because I want to do the French Canal sometime and I don't want to have to buy a new boat. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. You draw rather more. What do you draw? I draw five feet. Five feet? Well, you're about all right. Uh, if you're coming up from the Mediterranean, as you obviously would be, it's easy going up the, the River Rhone and the River Sone and... Uh, if you stick to the major waterways, then you're you're okay. Uh, the it's the little ones like the canals of Burgoyne and some other ones, the Nivernay. But on the whole, you, and there are plenty of guides on this, and um, I think if you stick to the major waterways, you can do it quite easily at five foot draft. If you um, if, there are plenty of books published on this, which uh, list everything, list all the details you want. Uh, I would recommend becoming a member of the Cruising Association of Britain. It's an overseas member. I'm a member. Overseas member, it's very cheap. And they produce every year an update called Cruising the Inland Waterways of France and Belgium. And that lists the depth of all the inland waterways that you might use and brings bang up to date uh, the information you might require. Uh, it's not difficult, or you can just post a question on their website as a member saying, I'm coming up, what's the best route? In fact, that question's been posed many times and you'll find it. Okay. You, get, you, you sent me some information to their, uh, their website. I'll put that link in the show notes as well, so other people might be interested in that. But, uh, it's, obviously, I'm biased because I'm a member, but there are 5,000 cruising yachts. And once you're a, a member of the Cruising Association, you can tap into that information, just posing a question, you'll get your answer. And it's cheaper for overseas people. A lot of members, actually, were doing the same sort of thing, bringing their boats over to Europe. Now, you're, you and your wife are both in their, your 70s now? Yes. How, how long do you plan on cruising? Well, for as long as we live. As you know, the boat's the sail, sailboat. Uh, we're, getting, we're coming up this year. We're going out on Friday to pick the boat up in the middle of France. We're hoping to 
come up to Calais, which is on the English Channel, where we will collect the mast and then sail down towards Cherbourg, down the English Channel. And we'll use the boat as a sailboat for probably a couple of years. And then we think the time might come to change to a proper power boat or most boat. That's in two or three years' time. I was once uh, sailing up in British Columbia. It just brings me to a story. And I was sailing up on Nelson Island in on British Columbia on the west coast of uh, Canada. And I pulled into this little bay on Nelson Island called Ballet Bay. Beautiful, beautiful little bay. And as soon as I pulled in, there's a guy getting off his motorboat, getting in his dinghy and rowing over and saying hello to me. And uh, he, he was admiring my boat. But the first thing that came out of his mouth, almost the first thing that came out of his mouth, was apologizing for being in a power boat. And he was explaining to me immediately that his health had deteriorated and he wanted to stay on the water, so he had to go to a power boat. So I thought that was an, an interesting observation that uh, – because I didn't have a bias against him. I didn't really care whether he was on a power boat or a sailboat, but he felt he needed to explain himself. So. I, I agree. Uh, there is an antagonism between sailors and power boaters. I wish there wasn't, because we're all sailors. We all face the same conditions. And an awful lot of sailors do convert around about our age to power boats, which makes sense, actually. Oh yes, yes. I was what I was skiing with a friend. She was French Canadian, and she said, "You know, I, I've been around a lot of sailors, Franz, on these races, and uh, after the races, they they sure drink a lot." And I said, "Well, do you know why they drink a lot?" She says, "Well, well, because they like." It. I said, "No, because they hurt. They hurt." <laughs> so it it you know being on a sailboat, you get your bruises and your your strains, and in a powerboat, it's, it's, you're not having to work quite as hard. No, you're not. I've, that's quite true. But I would say that going through a lot of locks on rivers and canals can be very demanding. Oh, it doesn't matter what kind of boat you're on at that point in time. That's right. It's quite right. You're up against the elements and the conditions. Yeah. It does demand things of you. And that's probably good for you, and maybe improves your longevity. Well, you seem to be doing pretty well. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> you sound the same as well, which is very wonderful. Yeah. Well, Jules, um, what what else should we cover that we haven't covered? What do you think I ought to ask you? I was going to ask you about your plans for this year. But, okay, uh, well, we can go interview oh yeah i've already told my audience what i'm planning on this summer but uh, but i'm trying to think of anything else we ought to cover uh we've let me ask you a couple questions on provisioning so, jules when you'd come into these villages would you carry a lot of provisions on your boat or would you pretty much provision day to day as you went along what what was your schedule on provisioning right that's a very interesting and important question because we have an expression, France ferme, France is shut. Uh, France shuts on Mondays completely. Shops shut randomly during the week because they seem to have a, a day off. And so you never know quite where you're going to be able to get food. So we stock up where we can 
for these three days' provisions, which is, seems a bit odd when you're in the middle of the towns. Um, that sets up exactly the answer. We carry three days' food, basically. Okay, and was it easy to fill up your water tanks? Were there plenty of places to fill up no, along the way? That's another good question. Uh, on the Canal de Burgoyne, and the Canal de Burgoyne is really different to everywhere else. I think it's important to stress. Uh, there were only two places where we could get water on the whole trip. We met a Swiss couple who had a, had a huge boat and were getting very, very frustrated because they couldn't take on water. There were only two places along the whole length. And taking on diesel fuel, um, gasoline, whatever, is even more difficult. The number of the places where you can pick up um, diesel a few and far between. So you just need to plan ahead and think ahead. But the other thing I would say about provisioning is that the French shops and markets are fantastic. We've been asked if we eat out a lot. Everybody assumes in Burgundy we're dining out every night, drinking Burgundy. And we're not, of course, because there are no restaurants. Uh, but uh, you can buy the beautiful provisions in the markets and the shops. Uh, you can go to a butcher and buy very high quality meat when you find them, and the bakers and so on. So we eat on board, but you have to be careful to make sure you've got enough food for the next few days. We have bicycles, so we can cycle the odd mile to three miles inland to find food as well. But you need to provision as if you're going around the islands of Croatia. So would you have to ferry fuel into your boat, or were you able to get enough uh, enough uh, distance on your boat with your existing tanks without having to worry about that? Well, being a sailboat, we, our fuel consumption is very, very, very low. So on our tank, we can probably go two, three hundred miles, actually. Uh, if you... With luck, you can find places where you can take on fuel at a shore base. But very often, if possible, we'll just take a couple of jerry cans ashore on a trolley, fill up at a supermarket and uh, tip that into the tank to make sure we're full. But I can tell you the other thing that worries me, and it probably worries you quite a lot, is diesel bug. Uh, we keep hearing of and meeting people who have problems with diesel bug. So we try and buy our fuel from places that are selling a lot of fuel. Oh, you're talking about the algae that grows in the diesel yeah. tanks, right? Yes. It, it, it's a real problem, and it's made worse now that the EU, European Union, is now insisting that we have a percentage of biofuel in our diesel which is wonderful for these bacteria. They love it. Hmm, okay. I know when I fill up my tanks, I have a biocide that I, I put as an additive to the tanks when I leave them over the winters. And I've never had a problem with that, so I'm hoping I don't. So do we. We add something. And it was interesting, as I told you at the start of the interview, that our tank was leaking from a very small airline crack. And it's 25 years old and has never been drained. And I was fascinated to find that the fuel looked absolutely beautiful. It's a 
clear as a glass of gin, um, even after 25 years. So we're lucky, I suppose. But we've known a lot of friends who've had uh, bacteria or bugs in their diesel. Was uh, the fuel tank in the keel of the boat? Deep down below a cockpit locker. Uh, the, the problem is the tank was about uh, one inch bigger than the orifice of the cockpit locker. So you either had to cut the boat up or cut the tank up. <laughs> what did you choose? We cut the tank up. But it was a hell of a job getting it out and having a new one made. Oh, that sounds like a nightmare. That's the joy of a handmade boat. Well, did you build this boat yourself? You didn't, did no, you? No, no, no. Well, I mean, it's not off a commercial production. Oh, line. right. Okay. By a, a, a boatyard called North Shore uh, in England who make these boats. And they're still making them, correct? Mm, not quite. Hmm. They went broke about a year ago, I think which is a tragedy. They overreached themselves and sadly went broke. Well, that's too bad. Perhaps somebody will pick them up and continue on the design. Yeah, somebody's done that once. <laughs> they went broke. <laughs> well, it's, 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 it's tough to make money in boats, and there's so many different boats that I'm actually amazed that as many of them stay in business as, as they do. Uh, my boat, uh, Bristol Channel Cutter, was built by Sam Moores, mm-hmm. and when he died... Uh, and my hall was number 71, and when he died, it was sold to somebody that went broke, and then it was sold to somebody else that went broke. And then uh, what I've heard is the molds now are somewhere up in Canada, and they're they're trying to revive them again. But it's it's um, it's not a it's not a get rich quick scheme on building boats. The Bristol Channel Cup has lovely design. I know we've seen your boat. Well, Jules, I appreciate you coming on board again and talking with us, and I'm going to put some links to uh, your book on the site, and I'm the Royal Cruising Association. The Cruising Association. The Cruising uh, Association of Britain. I send you the the details and put a link, because it's a good value for anybody from America who's coming over to the Mediterranean, let alone in the waterways. I can send you... Depends whether you can handle it. We've written up a description of our um, trip through the Canal de Bagoyne. It's not very long, but it comes to 4.7 megabytes. Oh, I can put it on my website, and uh, the people that are interested in it can download it. It's uh, it's oh, always appreciated, yes. I'll send it to you. That'd be great. I'd appreciate that. And I've got some, I've also got a... A, a PDF document on my website. If you ever get down to Crete, somebody wrote up a a pilot for Crete that they gave me, and it's on the website as well. So right. that'd be good to have yours. Yeah, it's very windy down there. Yes, yes. I went. I, I'd waited for years and years and years before I sailed there because I knew it was going to be a slog to get back up to the islands, and it was. Jules, thanks for being with us, and we'll talk again another time. Okay. The website for Sailing in the Mediterranean and beyond is www.medsailor.com. Again, medsailor.com. Life is short. 
In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing. Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f What the f gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it. <laughs> 